This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. Welcome back to Ohm Radio 96.3. This is a call to adventure hosted by... Alexopoulos and uh, my co-pilot John Duckworth and uh, today we get the distinct pleasure of sort of taking a look back at um, the first season of conversations we've had um, which I'm really excited about Um, and so we're going to get into that but uh, we thought you know in the spirit of a call to adventure We'd, we'd just start a little bit talking about this radio show and this program as our own call to adventure. And, and it certainly wh- has been. Where it started, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, how did that start, Alex? I remember one day you... I was riding home from the <laughs> beach, I think. I was on my cruiser. It was probably a decade ago. And I, and I thought to myself, I said, you know, if I, if I could do it all over again... I'd really, I'd really want to just be Charlie Rose. I know? love it. For those who know Charlie Rose, he just gets to sit down and interview fascinating people from all walks of life. Ball- yeah. Ballet dancers, scientists, military generals, uh, and everywhere in between. And, and, you know, then it dawned on me. I was like, well, you don't ha- PBS isn't going to knock on your front door and be like, you're the next Charlie You're the guy. Rose. Yeah, you're the guy. Uh, and so I thought, well, I, you know, I don't really need i don't want to do that i did we i could just create interviews and just with technology you know get start them on, talking to people start talking to people yeah and then it dawned on me that i'm such a technology neophyte that that was not possible <laughs> which is when you got a call <laughs> right yep yep i remember you said you know i uh, secretly i think i would like to be like charlie rose and i was i said well was what's holding you back and and you replied, technology. <laughs> Can you help? Uh, and and that that began. Oh, how many? You said that started a decade ago oh, when you first decade. had that thought. Yeah. And it, it was a few years after that before you even mentioned this to me. Yeah. And then, so well, well, interestingly enough, I sat with that thought. Okay. And I didn't do anything with it. And I sort of played around with how I was going to do it. And I sat with that thought another year. Okay. And similar to when I woke up January 2nd and called you and Stu and said, I'm going to build this surf lounge this year. Because if I don't, it's going to drive me crazy. It's going to drive me mad. Yeah. And that's what happened. I had sat with it for so long that I was just like... It's It's not going away. It's not going away. Yeah. And I got to do it. Got to do something And I can't do it without having somebody help me do it. Yeah. You know? So we just said, let's do it. Why don't we? And and, and without any strings attached, without any, uh, uh, you know, the Bhagavad Gita has got a famous line where they where 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 um, a Krishna is talking to Arjuna and he says he says the most important thing is to act and do your thing without regard for the outcome. So let go of the outcome, and um, 
And that's how we approached the first interview. It was like, let's just do it, you know? We don't have to, it doesn't have to go anywhere. Nobody even has to listen to it, but we actually need to do the whole thing as an interview with yeah. the recording devices. And, and so I called up Quentin Baxter right. and said, would you like to do this? And sure, he said, yeah, come over. And so we had him over to my house, sat around that big kitchen table in my, in my old uh, farmhouse there. I was so nervous. I mean, I've now become good friends with Quentin. And you didn't really, did you know him at all I, did, then? I didn't know him very okay. well at all. And uh, he's he such... can He can make, make you nervous, too, because yeah. Quentin's, Quentin does not, he doesn't pull any punches, and he's... he's, he's well, uh, he, he's not superfluous with words. No, you know? he's, he's just He says it like it is, yeah. you know, uh, which is beautiful, you know. But yeah, I was nervous. The first conversation, and him as having the conversation, right? And we got yeah. into some subject matter. Uh, that well, was... Jack McRae had just passed passed away. And Jack McRae was not only like the godfather of, of jazz in Charleston, but was like a father figure to Quentin. And so it, it got personal really quickly. And, and, he, had, and he had not shared or talked no. or done any interviews. So that was the first time he really was... Was talking about this. Talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was magical. It and was, it was. It was... It was, it was it was incredible, yeah. And I feel like um, Quentin would say the same. Yeah. Yeah. So what happens next, John? Oh, we're riding on cloud nine. Right. You know, you, you drive away, Quentin drives away, and I go back. I can't wait to, to download all of the digital information from two different devices where I was capturing things. Mind you, he's, he's the technology guy. I'm the technology right. guy. And, and, and very quickly it dawns on me that we've had a complete and total technology failure. Um, the camera that I was using that was recording sound and video at the same time had a five-minute uh, buffer on there, and it, that was its max, that was its limit. And quite honestly, I'd only used that camera for video, I mean, for, for still photos, and so I didn't know that it had that time limit on it. So after five minutes, which was basically the chit-chat we got into at the very beginning, the camera shut down. I was too busy looking at the other sound device that I had that was just recording sound and watching the wavelengths go up and down and thinking, cool, that's looking good. But that device, oddly enough, had a red button on it that would blink. And when it was blinking, that actually only meant that it was ready. And you had to press it again to get it to go solid, which meant it was recording. But it was very hard to distinguish because it was showing you sound waves right. and blinking. Like I would think... You would when you walked into a sound studio, blinking red light, things are going on. Not the case. It was capturing zero, and uh, we got nothing. So I, I remember the call. I was eating dinner. You called. I walked outside the front door. You said, you should take a seat. So I sit, <laughs> I sit down on the steps, and you go, you know the interview? I said, yeah. I mean, it's magical. He's like, well, we didn't capture any of it. <laughs> I figured I better cut to the chase quick. Remember that thing we did? And, and, and what Nothing. was my response? I was like, you know, maybe it wasn't meant to be captured. I mean, I yeah. think pretty quickly. You, you were very quick to, 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 to move past it, which was great, because it made it a lot easier for me and, and feeling like a total, like I totally failed, which it was a technology fail. But the, the interesting thing is, is that really set the stage. I mean, two things there. One, um, I feel like it was a great way for Quentin to talk about this really critical moment in his life without having to actually share it with anybody else, mm -hmm. which I think was probably pretty cathartic. Um, and, and secondly, that set the stage for the, for, for the rest of the process for us, which was let go of the outcome. 
No, like, like, n- not not quite yet. Not yet. That no, because the next venture was with our great friend. Oh yeah, that's Mitch, right, Mitchell Davis. We had to really screw things up once again first. Yes, both sides <laughs> of the equation. <laughs> that's because, right. Because this time we met and we had. Two cameras. Oh, we had five on, cameras. Five dude. cameras, like on. Yeah, we had a GoPro. We had two video cameras, and then right. we had a still camera shooting. We had and we had two audio recording devices. Right. We were like, I'm going to overcapture the heck out of this right. thing. So we have a great conversation, as yep. anybody who talks with Mitchell always does. Uh, wonderful guy, really creative. Uh, just a wonderful guy and his wife, oh, man, Farrah. Born as well. and raised in, in Somerville, South Carolina, yeah. and one of the like world's leading people for taking old books and, yeah. and, and giving them new life. Yeah, pioneer in, yeah. That, in that. Yeah. Um, but so we have a conversation, and the order to me afterwards is okay, here we have all this uh, footage. You know, it's about four and a half hours. <laughs> Why don't you go through it and listen to it? And sort of pull out what you like about it. The highlights, yeah. I never listened to it. Neither of us did. No. To this day. <laughs> it's like four and a half hours, I'm not listening. It all went on an external hard drive, two external hard drives. One I think I gave to you, one I have in my file cabinet still, and it says on it, uh, Mitchell Davis interview, right. <laughs> and I never have touched it again. I was like, man, I can't do it. It's like Pandora's box. Right. It's too much to look at. But, I, I, but I, what I think both of those... Uh, experiences did was just start movement in started a, the movement start, yeah it, it started movement in a direction and and from that point it sort of dropped by the wayside for a little bit it did um, the air went out air went out and then Vic, we heard from Vicky and Lee that they were uh, I was at uh, guitar lessons with Lee with and and Bays and I were taking guitar and and Lee mentioned something about this community-based radio station that they were starting and had gotten a license through the FCC and I, I was like oh wow really you guys need programming he's like are you kidding me yeah we don't have anybody right now I'm just telling you as one of the first people to know and I immediately called you up on the way I was like we got a radio show. We can go on the air. <laughs> it's happening. We kind of got to get our our uh, stuff together here. It took a while, right? Corbin, you remember, like, we, we recorded the first shows, uh, Vince Graham, Jenny Deeran, Benji Towell, uh, at my, my office location. And we just didn't have the equipment and the... The experience, or we hadn't really thought through our questions yeah. as well. I mean, you know, talk about, you know, bombing when we interviewed your mom and, and, and uh, <laughs> we're asking her questions like that we thought would be rich, rich questions, right. you know. Tell us about what's on your bucket list. What's her answer? I don't have one of those. Oh, <laughs> I, don't I don't have a bucket list. I don't have a bucket list. list. Right. <laughs> oh, man, that fell a little flat. What are your plans for the future? I, I really I don't, don't plan really for the plan future. For the future. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting because you and I, I think, are yin and yang this way. Um, it really, I think, revealed to me that this is this is a hobby. This isn't what we do full time. And so it had to have a structure to the conversation. Because yeah. if we went into every conversation having... On the fly. Needing to have done 10 hours of research and, you know, I mean, exhausted ourselves and then just hope that the conversation flowed, oh, yeah. it'd be really difficult, you know? And so it was what, really difficult. What, well, and we were assuming things about people that, that we really didn't know. Yeah. We were assuming calls to adventure. With Ben, with ben the first time, we, yeah. we thought that his first job with Raymond Blanc was, 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 was massive. How did that happen, you know? And, and, and he said, oh, I was, just needed a job. I was walking by the window, and there's a help-wanted sign. It wasn't really a big deal. 
Are you sure it wasn't meaningful? Can we? Yeah, because boy, we had this all in our heads that this was a big moment, right? And and it's not. So that's when we realized, yeah, we needed to be incorporate a little more structure into our. What I what I've enjoyed about the 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 format of the show is that it while it has structure, it still has lots of room to morph and move in and out of that. It's still a lot of space within a. a structured environment. I yeah, think. it's that balance. I like that balance. Yeah. That that for me, that's the essence of creative process. Yeah. You kind of got to give it some walls, or else it's way too wide open. It can go anywhere. It's too abstract. But you give it some boundaries just to define the box, and then anything goes in that space. Before we cut to uh, one of our favorite bands, uh, Pearl Jam, oh, yeah. uh, and I want you to lead us into that. I want to read. Uh, a note that you took a picture of and sent to oh, me. Oh, that's right. Which, okay. Which apparently I had sent to you like eight or nine years ago. Um, and, and for those of you who know me in typical, you know, grandiose fashion, I, I listed it mission slash manifesto. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the headline? That's the headline. <laughs> oh, I got to laugh at myself. Uh, but it says, to create an ongoing interview series that fosters the sharing of knowledge and wisdom earned through experience and to share those interviews in a way that helps others to become more open, more aware, and more informed. I think about what we're doing and I really think it stays true to the, that, that, those few words, you know? Um, yeah, you know, it's, it was nice to set that down on paper on the, at the very beginning because I think everything really flowed from out of that foundation. And it was your foundation you were laying because originally, like I said, I was along for the ride just to help you do what you were wanting to do. I, I kind of, you know, innocently ended up becoming sitting here in front of a mic. I was just supposed to be the guy recording. And then, you know, you first of all, I got that. fired for that. You're like, dude, you know, you, you kind of suck at that. <laughs> Let's get Corbin and Thomas involved. Right. Thankfully, we right. did get people who were really good at that involved. Yes. Um, and, you know, the, the worst thing you want to be is a jack of all trades and master of none. So um, I, I've really enjoyed being on, on, on this side of the mic and, and having the conversations with you. Yeah. 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 And I think it has... Uh, uh, held to its original intentions and been really, really uh, beautiful in that way. It really just reiterates, you know, we'll talk about this when we talk about Kevin Harrison, but just mm. the, the, the power of intention and, and verbalizing something that you want to manifest or, or writing down something, you know? Yeah, right. It, it really right. does. Uh, and then starting some movement, mm-hmm. right? Starting the ball rolling, and that's what really did it. And it really didn't doesn't matter where it goes originally, because you just have to. What right. Stu always talk about? What's the first step? Right. You know, right. you just got to do that. Well, you want to hear some Pearl Jam? Let's hear some. This Pearl. one's off a of no code. It's called "Who You Are." Sand, transcendent. 
Well, Pearl Jam, that song was chosen uh, clearly from the title because we're about to talk about how we got to know who a bunch of people are. Uh, 22 episodes in now, I believe. And um, it all started with our good friend Buff Ross. Well, it's funny because, um, you know, we had done three. We needed to do one like right away. Because we had to get yeah. it recorded. The, the radio station was launching in August, and we both thought to ourselves, like, who do we know will definitely have something to say? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Buff Ross. <laughs> Buff Ross. You're right? I mean, he makes words up on the fly. Yes. And makes them sound real. And then laughs at you as you yeah. buy into it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, he was perfect. <laughs> oh, man. So, so we just wanted to go through the season and, and just take away our immediate sort of instinctual reactions to each guest. And... Uh, and for me, with Buff, it's, it was just insatiable curiosity. Yeah, and that's one of the words that he's, um, uh, that's come up with him a, a number of times, just curiosity being sort of the, the essential nature of what he loves about uh, people who are really curious about life and everything around them, that, that he just really loves that. He's one of those guys I've asked him, 
consistently. Like, how do you do all of it? Yeah, right. (laughs) Because you just, I mean, his his knowledge of so many different subjects um, is is quite. Impressive. He may have uh, secretly cloned himself. Yes. <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. Well, he's the only guy I know who has a, a, side, hori- a sideways seersucker. Oh, a sideways That's what he calls it, the yeah. sideways seersucker. Yeah. <laughs> From there, we, uh, we interviewed uh, one of your good friends, uh, somebody that I had just met, Marcus Amaker. Mm-hmm. Wonderful poet, musician, uh, activist, all of it. Yeah, and that was great. I mean, I think for me, what stands out from that conversation was when he was talking about the festival up in in, uh, in Asheville. And we were talking about what happens when you let your weird out of your box. That's right. And and, and so he was at this place where it was encouraged to do that. And then we, I was asking him, well, how much of that stays out when you come back into normal day-to-day? Right. Right. Um, and, and, uh, that, that's, that was fun. And that's a really good visual though, because we we do have different spaces, whether it's the Alps or whether it's the beach or whether it's, you know, a a festival or wherever those spaces are, where we just, you know, let it go, fly fly the freak flag, as you like to say. But, uh, you know, it's really important to bring back those qualities, I think, you know. Well, they're who make us uh, authentically unique and right. individuals, right. you know, and, and if you bottle that up, you know, it, it, uh, it's not serving your, your, your true purpose very well. Right. So often we do, though. Yeah. You know, we put yeah. on the armor. Yeah. And the, the funny mask. thing about Marcus was, talented, amazing, creative guy who makes music that he wasn't really sharing with anybody. Right. He got multiple albums, right. you know, and uh, this was part of what he was sort of then, you know, letting out. You know, to let people know, which I think is a real healthy thing for him. Because, I mean, and for everybody who listens, it's great stuff. I loved his poetry. And, yeah. uh, you know, I, I wrote down one of the uh, snippets from one of the poems, and I keep it on my desk. Oh, that's right. Um, Endless stream of inspiration, searching for the spark that will start the process all over again. And it was a re- it's a reminder to me that the call to adventure, um, we think of it, I think initially is maybe big or grand or something, yeah. you know, but I've actually come to really enjoy thinking about it as really small circles, you know, and, and they can be all different shapes and yeah. all, all different sizes of adventures. But, you know, the, the, the creation of a poem is, is its own little call to adventure. And Absolutely. Once it's completed, it starts all, all over, over again. again. And Joseph Campbell was yeah. clear about that in his interpretation of the hero's journey, that it couldn't be, an analysis of an, of an entire lifetime or stages within a lifetime right. or uh, a moment in a day or all the way down to just the in-breath and the out-breath, right. just that cycle. You know? And so it, it's, it's, it, he, he breaks it down just to make sure that people understand that it doesn't have to be right. this big grand moment. You know? there, we're, we're always moving towards the unknown. From there, we went to uh, a dear friend, Hamilton Davis, yep. um, who is the chief energy director for the Coastal Conservation League. Uh-huh. Um, and one of the things as we were doing research uh, on Hamilton was we noticed that in his path, I mean, this is a, a, a young, you know, not young, like early, mid-30s probably, um, but he's taken sabbatical and hiked the Appalachian Trail. He's Pacific taken sab- Crest Trail. Right. He's he's taken sabbatical and, and went to Costa Rica for a year. Yeah. Um, very, very thoughtful, very well read, loves music. Um, 
And when, one of the questions was, you know, you seem to take a sabbatical like every three to yeah, five right. years, right? And, and we were, you're coming up on that period. Yeah. What are, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And uh, we recently found out, now that it's public, uh, he's taking another sabbatical. He's, yeah. he's buying a one-way ticket to the Maldives to meet some mates for uh, a bit of a surf trip. Uh, and then he's going to... Uh, say au revoir and uh, take off on his own in Asia for, uh, you know, maybe a year or two, maybe three. Yeah, it seems uh, pretty open-ended. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And we'll come up, you know, with with, with Hamilton, which was so uh, interesting. It's come up with a lot of different people, just this sort of uh, the need to find some solitude and some quietness. Like when he goes on the Appalachian Trail, when he gets to the Pacific Crest Trail, just, just how sort of enlightening those moments can be when you really remove yourself from the day-to-day... Um, constant churning of culture and society and you know and urbanization yeah and we got to find those small moments to do it you know the the sunday afternoon with a book yeah. a reading and, and not, not needing to do anything and in today's culture that's so difficult to do to push back against all the distractions and to get quiet there's a uh, pretty large mountain of input coming in uh, massive but you know, to take that much, to push back that much. I think, yeah. you know, it's got to, I, I, he didn't say this, but I, I would believe that it's his way of sort of checking in with himself. You yeah, know? I think so. Uh, yeah, yeah. And then we had uh, who I call the matriarch uh, of the city, Janet Alterman. Um, yeah, the first woman on the show, yes. appropriately, yes. because that's the, uh, she's been uh, fighting for women's rights uh, pretty much her whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Really poignant uh, visual, um, you know, when she played music, The Re- Revolution by the Beatles, 1979. She was in Afghanistan. In Afghanistan. When uh, they were overthrowing the regime. Right, when the Soviets were invading. I remember yeah. that, you know, I was seven. Um, but what was so uh, memorable for me from that conversation was when, I mean, I have four sisters, I have a mom, I, I, I feel like I have an understanding of, of women and, and their experience. And, and, and Janet really sharpened the reality that I, I really don't. <laughs> because when, when I was talking about, you know, women in Afghanistan or in the Middle East and, you know, look at women in the U.S. and how much better they have it, she quickly reminded me that the state of South Carolina is, is number one uh, domestic domestic abuse. violence. Yeah. yeah, the the yeah. amount of I think six thousand incidents with Uber. Uh, you know, um, sexually orientated. Uh, mm. You know, predominantly men on women. Yeah, uh, and she was doing work in Afghanistan and realized yeah. that you know, wow, she she actually there's plenty of work to do right here in right the state here. of South Carolina. Yeah. yeah. It was a it was a very good reminder that while while we've come a long long way on the issues of yeah. equality for women, we have a long long way to go. Yeah, you know, and having a daughter seven, Maya, um, you know that that uh, that really stuck with me from that conversation. Yeah, I bet. I bet. We followed up with one of our spiritual leaders. Uh, Jeremy Rutledge. Jeremy Rutledge, right? Who I keep calling Jeremy Rivers. Yes, which is such a wonderful description. It's a mashup of yeah. him and Reverend Rivers. Yeah. Uh, but Jeremy Rutledge, uh, he, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, small, thin, soft-spoken guy from Hawaii mm-hmm. uh, who uh, came this way and heads the Circular Congregational Church uh, here in Charleston on Meeting Street. And I really feel like, and he feels like, he... he 
Uh, he was meant to be here at this moment, um, and particularly, you know, this moment uh, of of, uh, of tragedy in Charleston, where the, you know, with the um, uh, the tragedy at AME, with the shooting of the nine people there, and that was that was uh, uh, preceded by the uh, uh, the, the Scott, Scott shooting right. in North Charleston, and and I think he really feels like that that this was his work. He thought his work was going to be about the environment, right? right? And then he's come along to to realize that it's it's more about trying to uh, reach across lines of segregation and right. and create some unity. Yeah, and he's really seemed to build some connections with uh, with the African American community, yeah. the spiritual leaders, uh, Doctor Rivers. Um, he talked a lot about uh, Bernie Glassman yeah. and the Zen peacekeepers and bearing witness. That was the big takeaway for me was that mm-hmm. bearing witness. Oh, I, I love that concept, and, and you know, it uh, w- walk through that because well, from my understanding of his description, uh, sometimes just looking at a problem is, first of all, enough, and sometimes it's more than we've actually even bothered to do. So, for instance, going to stand on the tip of Sullivan's Island and reading the plaque that says, "This is the entry point for the majority of Africans who came to this country as slaves." And there's no need to take any action at that point. There's no need to actually do anything. Just bearing witness to the truth of what happened um, and letting it soak in and allowing action to spring forth of its own accord um, and uh, on its own time. Yeah. So hard to do that. Go back to the the number of inputs. You know, you get yeah. sort of like inundated with... Well, we're an action-related... Right. I mean, that's how we keep score. It goes back to my point about keeping score. You know, you have all these great websites and organizations that you get these things, you know, do, you know, do something now, change.org, whatever they are. Um, You watch the news and you just get inundated with imagery around the world of, you know, despair. Uh, Yeah. And so you sort of hyperventilate. And it was very... uh, um, calming for me to hear Mm. him, a spiritual leader, say, you know, just bear witness. Just bear witness. Just look at it. Yeah, just look at it, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, Dear friend, uh, we we had the opportunity to talk with afterwards, uh, Miss Kate Nevin, Mm -hmm. um, wonderful uh, founder of Enough Pie. Yeah. Um, I feel like for both of us, the big the big takeaway was her description of the of coining the term citizen artist. Yeah, she did a or TEDx in Charleston. Yeah, on, on that topic, which is just an words are really interesting. Yeah, and it's such a great play on on yeah. on, on on trying to find a way to pull the rug out from apathy. Yes. Saying, you know, no, you can be a creative citizen, and all that really means is just get involved. You yeah, know, and get, get involved on, on your terms. You're right? and in, I mean, yeah, envision a new space because, right. you know, the only constant in life is change. So, you know, your community is always going to be changing and you can either sit by and complain about it or actually be a part of the change which, in whatever direction you want. But if you're only sitting on your couch complaining, um, you're, you're really, you know, uh, you, you have no right to complain. When I think of like activism or political, you know, structures today, they just seems not activism, but like the political process seems so rigid. Mm. You know, particularly the youth tend to shy away from it. Um, you know, it, it the, the idea of the citizen artist just sort of tears down all the structures for me, and mm. and, and it just gives a totally open space as to how you want to do that. How do you want to? 
give back and, and be engaged in the community. Yeah. And there's so many different ways, you know. There and, are, and there, there are ways that have not been invented yet. That I mean, ideally, it's empowering. And that's the original intent right. of this country is that it's, a, it's from the bottom up that things happen, not from the top down. But it seems to have, you know, shifted a bit. We then uh, moved on to uh, one, of our, one of our best of friends, Kevin Harrison, um, who actually introduced the two of us together. That's right. Uh, Kevin is in, uh, and his family, Kathy and his two daughters, are in Dalkey um, in Ireland. But they're, uh, we got news recently that they're on their way back. The plans are in action, yes. and you know what happens when the Harrisons put their plans in action. Well, that was the takeaway amongst many. He was the first one to record his own song live in the studio. Big Bad Bill. Ah, oh, beautiful. <laughs> uh, but the ability, I mean, the the visual of him, like, you know, he's working at Blackboard. He's sort of over it. He wants to get out. He wants to break out, and he's and he's just writing on his arm. These with a Sharpie. With a Sharpie. Yeah. Like, like it started as just like notes to himself, but then it started. It became uh, uh, much more than that. He's like writing like uh, things he wants to manifest in his life, you know, in like, big bold sharpie markers. And I'm sure they were creative, like daily oh, yeah. tattoos, you know, that yeah. came off at night. But then he'd write again. <laughs> but the the if you know Kevin, you do know that uh, he he's a dreamer, um, which is a wonderful thing. He's an incredible storyteller. Yeah, he uh, is. Both both with a paintbrush and with a camera and behind a film, uh, you know, and, and verbally and musically. Um, but th- the power he has in sort of putting an idea out there, manifesting it into his reality. Uh, yeah. That, that was a, a wonderful takeaway. Yeah, and, the, uh, and, and again, I think it comes back to, to letting go as well. Because even for when, when the global family, family field trip that they go off on, this great big adventure... It was dead in the water, and they had let go of it. And, and, and right at that moment of really, truly letting go of that process was when it all came together and happened. Um, and that was a good, that's a good lesson, a good thing to keep in mind, you know, that you just never know. Keep the doors open, but uh, uh, don't hold on too tightly. Um, but you, also, you have to start somewhere, right? You know? And they had envisioned this thing very clearly. It just came from a different direction. Yeah. That, that's, that's a common thread throughout, you know, yeah. I'm thinking back on the conversation that, that you and I had and about New York and sort of letting go. And, uh, yeah, and, right. Uh, but that's, yeah. I think it's the, the balance of, you know, the commitment and letting go, the balance that of balance, the horizon yeah. and tacking, you know, that's why I think yeah. balance is just such a, it sounds so simplistic, the, the, the word, but I just think it's incredibly complex. It is, it is. Uh, but I think it's important, like for me, when I think of balance, there was a time in my life when I thought of balance as being precarious. So I'm standing on the razor's edge. I could fall left or right very quickly and, 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 it, and it could be dramatic. I think of it very differently now. I think of balance as being firmly planted on the ground. And, and, and that's when I'm really grounded. Mm. And, and yeah, I can sort of move one way or another, which would, might be out of balance, but that out of, out of balance doesn't, doesn't need me to then go to a place of, oh, wow, I've just completely fallen off. It's just maybe a step to the right. All I got to do is just step back over. And, and, and I think that that, that gives me, that may, allows me to feel a bit more stable even when I am out of balance because I know I'm not that far away rather than just falling off completely. Right. And, that, and that's more speaking to like life balance, right? You know, is, yeah. is that fair? But, but like when you think about the balance of, having a vision 
manifesting something out there, mm-hmm. like the power of the direction, and and then simultaneously the need to not have a direction, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. To yeah. let go. Yeah. 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 And and it's it's I think it's really both. Yeah. Um, that's the beautiful place to be. <clears throat> yeah, and by letting go, you it, it it just keeps the vision wider and a bit more open, I think, which allows for other ways for it to happen to come in. Right. Because this real linear yeah. path of I must get from point A to point B, this direction, is really a limiting factor because so often getting from point A to point B might involve a whole route you never envisioned. It might be incredible. And you still get where you're going, but if you were so fixed on this one path you thought you needed to take, you'd miss it completely, and you'd never end up going there. Or you'd just be struggling the whole way. Or you know, It's just so often, it's really helpful. Well, do you think our next uh, guest, Stanfield Gray, had the vision that his Dig South conference was going to be as wildly successful as it just was? It, it was just, just happened. Yeah, just here, yeah. April no. 25th to the 28th, I believe. I think he was hesitating to even do it. And and uh, he he discussed how there was a uh, uh, I suppose it's a, it was a benign tumor that uh, a growth that um, health scare uh, was a big, big scare time. yeah and uh, and the, it, it was thankfully it was fine and it was it was treatable and removed and everything was okay but it was enough to 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 really wake him up and think you know what life's too short I'm gonna do this thing right. You know, and hopefully we don't have to. Ha- other people don't have to have those types of catalysts. But the, yeah. the 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 takeaway there for me was, it was a catalyst. You know, if it, it was something that catalyzed movement that yeah. he was unwilling to make prior to it. Well, and right? it brings me back to Kevin Harrison. Don't let anybody talk you out of your crazy ideas. Right. Um, just do it, and if you need to, write it in sharpie on your arm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, we have Carolee. Carolee, yes, Carolee Nielsen Follert. Follert. Yeah. What an impressive young woman she is. Yeah, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What was your biggest takeaway with our interview? Well, with I loved how she described, you know, uh, she had done four restaurants. I mean, f- she's wildly successful restaurateur. Some of the most recognizable names in our culinary scene are, you know, attributable to her yeah. creativity and thoughts. Um, but she had sort of like gotten to a place where she was moving in a different direction, sort of trying to hold the ground and, and not do any new restaurants. Yeah, her plate was full. Her plate was full. Uh, but she kept walking by what is now Park Car- Park Cafe, and, That's right. know, and she want, she's like it's a neighborhood restaurant. It should look like this. It should be like this. And and she the the image she used was I was trapped in a corner by the idea, and I couldn't escape it. Yeah, <laughs> like she's just, so what was like you no talked about out. earlier about the uh, about this about this radio show when you were talking about interviewing. Like the idea was the seed was planted, and it kept resurfacing. Yeah. You know, and they, okay, I have to do something about this. I guess yeah. it had to blossom. You know, it's yeah. like it reaches yeah, the yeah. level of which it has to see Special. sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. It has to see sunlight. Right. That's funny. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, I'm going to mention Kevin one more time because remember, Kathy is the planter of the seed. Yes. Yeah. That was <laughs> And I love that visual as well because it's, uh, it's so true. You know, the seeds are planted and you just never know when they're going to blossom. Yes. The other thing that I was a big takeaway with Carolee was, um, just the very, very organic nature of her creative process. I mean, literally. Yeah, that was know. really nice to hear. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you think about how these, what, what we as consumers, as we go into restaurants are, 
you know, so well done and thought out. But I think for her, they just start very basic and elementary. Yeah. You know, and, and build on top of one another. Seems like it. Mm-hmm. Seems like the next, I mean, the next dinner I would like to have with her is at her place on Edistown. Yeah, I'm waiting for that invitation. Carly, if you're listening right. to this, we need a fire. Right. <laughs> I think some bourbon. <laughs> some fresh food off the farm. There you go. So we're going to take a, uh, a little break. Uh, we've gotten through a few of our guests. We have a few more to go. Um, one thing that all of them possess is uh, they're doing it their way. Uh, certainly writing their own story. Um, and there's nobody better than the old man, Frank Sinatra, uh, to talk about that. Enjoy my way. And uh, now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Regrets, I've had a few But then again to mention I did what I had to do saw it through without exemption I planned each charted course each careful step along the byway and more Much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew. But through it all, when there was dark, My fill, my share of losing, and now as tears subside, I find it all so amusing to think I did all that, and may I say. Not in a shy way Oh no Oh no, not me 
I did it my way For what is a man What has he got If not himself Then he has not To say the things He truly feels And not the words Of one who kneels The record shows I took the blow Hope you enjoyed that tune. I always do. Gets me fired up. Um, and I hope you enjoy the next uh, portion of the show where we, uh, we give you a summary of uh, the guest for the latter part of the season. We sat down with Ben Towell next, a good mate from, from England, and another restaurateur. We, had, we, we unknowingly had a, had, a, had a restaurant theme for a little while. What a gem. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was your favorite moment with Ben? You know, I think from the very first time I met Ben, it was like a three-minute interaction, but I just walked away from it going, I, I want to spend more time with that guy. You know, his energy and his, uh, his um, I guess his energy is just infectious, and he just walks with such humility. And when, you, when we were doing research for Ben and you looked at, and he, I didn't know all the things that he had done in, you know, in Europe and New York and the chefs that he had worked under and right. for and right. the restaurants he had created. And He's I, not yeah. one to ever throw his resume in your face. Never. Yeah. Um, and simultaneously, he has a brilliant way of making each person he's spending time with feel really important. Well, I, I, I did a, uh, a project at the house, Basis... Uh, a salon that we did one night where I was asking the question of what is the ethos or one, one of your ethos in life, you know, mm. and, uh, and his was global manners. Oh yeah. And I, and I think it went something like the ability to be anywhere, to sit down with anyone uh, and talk to them in a way that they understand or, or, or feel, you know, uh, feel comfortable. Feel comfortable. That's yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And he does that. Oh, he embodies it. Yeah. yeah. I and yeah. I, I, you know, fortunately, we spend a lot of time with Ben, um, and and you get to see that all the time. It's a real beautiful thing. And and he's just a creative genius. I mean, the guy is really, really good. And yeah. is and you know, I mean, another we, a lot of the folks we talk to, uh, their their spouses and their partners are just so influential in their right. life. And if you meet his right. wife, Kate, oh, she's supremely talented gem as well she's know? a gem as well well one of the big takeaways there with relationship to the, to the topic of call to adventure was was when he talked about he's he, he battles you know 
ironically, battles depression from yeah. time to time. Yeah. And the one thing that he said really gets him through those dark moments is to set something out on the horizon right away that he can, he can move towards. Because um, he knows that he won't move right. if he doesn't do that. So just even knowing enough about himself to recognize the need to do that. And he referenced that, I think, with his uh, bike ride across country. Yeah, well, he came down here to work on a project, and the project just didn't go, you know, creatively. The, you know, there was just a, uh, it was a struggle. There was a struggle, right? And so he walked away from that courageously. Um, and I think it was probably in a funk, and and, yeah. and decided, you know, in in Ben fashion, I think, you know, decided I'm going to bicycle across the country from Virginia to California, right? And I'm going to yeah. chronicle it. Uh, for, you know, I think the New York Times and, and maybe Outside Magazine followed him, uh, uh, but sort of to shed light on the, the food sources, really. Food sources and food culture in America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. really great. Um, well, and then we sat down with Marjorie Wentworth. Our second poet. Yes. Second poet, that's right, that's right. And we talked about uh, her, speaking of brave, her poem, One River, One Boat, which yeah. was... Uh, neglected at the uh, uh, our, the governor's uh, inauguration, yeah. Um, uh, for its uh, nobody ever come out publicly to say it, but um, for its reference to slavery and right. and the uh, sort of dark side of South Carolina's past, right? Um, which she said was the best thing that they could have ever done. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. You ban something, and you yeah. know it, it gains a, a wider audience. I mean, the irony. Of, I mean, that wasn't long before sort of the tragedies of 2015, right? I think it was no. 2014, maybe. I don't. It, I don't no, know. It was. It was. It was the same year. Okay. No, it was. It was. It was the same. The same calendar year as when, when when all that happened, and it and it led to, um, you know, a conversation um, that that eventually ended up uh, pulling the the Confederate flag down from the state house, right? Since I mean, it went up, you know, and during the civil rights movement in the 60s. She writes about a lot of things, and, and I don't want to just categorize her as, you know, sort of a political poet. Right. Um, but I just really admire the bravery, you know, the courage uh, that she uh, takes into all of her uh, adventures with the pen, you know. She does. She does. And she doesn't write in a way that feels like she's trying too hard to be eloquent. It's very simple, plain language. And, and I love the, the simplicity. It's like whittled down to the essence of, the, of, of what's going on. Yeah. There's a poem about her, um, her father's uh, burial that we read on the show, which was really, really powerful mm-hmm. for its simplicity. I remember when she came into the room and she's got this stature and you sort of think one thing. I, I, you know, I've never really met or talked with her. And then we sit down and we get into the show and then, I mean, she just starts to sparkle. I mean, oh, you know, right? I mean, like she's... That woman's a, got more energy than, than she knows what to do with yeah, sometimes. I mean, by oh, the, yeah, by yeah. the time she's hard to contain. that she left the room, we were all like just <laughs> jumping around giddy, you know? Uh, she's just got a great... Fiery Reminds me of another uh, poet who, who said at once, uh, uh, do I contradict myself? Of course I contradict myself. I contain multitudes. <laughs> and she contains multitudes. She does. She does. In a beautiful the way. The poet laureate of South Carolina, yeah. Marjorie Wentworth. Um, who was next? Well, Rob Swan. 
first man to ever walk to both the North Poles and the South Poles. We suddenly found ourselves sitting next to a legend. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and he pierces you oh, with man. his eyes. You know, I was like, oh, man, I'm scared. Oh, I'll never forget that one of the first things he said to me when he found out that I was going to be talking and addressing people when we were trying to uh, encourage people to help raise funds to send people to Antarctica yes. with him. Um, and he said, uh, stared at me with those piercing blue eyes that have been bleached by the Antarctic sun. Um, no pressure, mate. <laughs> and then he lingered his stare on me a few more seconds longer. And I was like, no pressure. Right, right, right. right. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. There, there's so many takeaways from that conversation. But uh, one of them, when you think about Rob, was, you know, he had a passion to do this adventuring from the age of 11 mm-hmm. um, and the commitment to, to do that um, and to continually Watching. do it. Yeah. Right. Scott What's of it? the Antarctic Scott he watched at yeah. 11, right? Yeah. And how the seed was planted to want to, I mean, my son's 11 and, and, you know, he watches that movie and has no desire to ever go to walk all the way to Antarctica. Well, Isabel Gray. Gray. And she's 11, though, and she just went to Antarctica. She just went to Antarctica. I mean, you know, there's a story that she was, uh, I mean, what a courageous young woman she is. I hope that in our next season, as we start to talk, maybe. She's on Charlie's 50 Most Progressive now. Is she? Yeah. Um, Talk with some of our youth, which would be an interesting exploration, you know, talk to the youth and the elders. But um, she went up to Antarctica, raised money, uh, her, her mom, her her dad, Jonathan, uh, Hayne, her mom. But uh, really exceptional young woman. Yeah, she she is. Um, and the, you know, you talked about it like he the first time I think it was the first time up there. Right. And he's coming back. Jacques Cousteau became his sort of patron. Uh huh. His mentor, yeah, and said, uh, you know, Antarctica uh, comes out of the treaty that's been signed and is unprotected in the year 2041, right? Um, and so, hence the name Project 2041. Um, but you know, he's raised all this money. He goes there. He's coming back, and he sees his uh, his ship sink. Right? He said he literally had to watch fifty thousand dollars of cash go down because he, yeah. he couldn't eat it, right? Yeah, and this was uh, uh, the pinnacle of his sort of everything he had been going to achieve, which he made it to the South Pole, first man to ever do this walking. And at the same moment, um, he ends up in financial ruins. Well, and, he, and he, ma- he gave Jacques his word, I will not leave a trace, which is what Jacques requested yeah. if he was going to you know, fund the expedition. And so he took four years to get back to take all their stuff out. Right. You know, talk about commitment. He's a man of his word. He's a man of his word, yeah. right. And, and he's, he's the guy I want fighting to protect uh, Antarctica. Yeah. He's the right man for the job. He's almost a superhero, although I know he's yeah. human, you know, and uh, you, you just you, you wonder how he does it because yeah. he's full speed. Absolutely. Inspiring. Yes, absolutely. Then we had a dear friend, uh, Chris Hansen. Uh, on the show, Chris, filmmaker, filmmaker, uh, you know, um, moved here from Colorado. What I think probably seven, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. 
He's got an underground cult hit for a movie, Scrapple. Yes. That, uh, uh, some people, uh, boy, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's about a little ski town in Colorado that has a rabid following. Yeah, the this New York Times yeah. critique of that was just like, it is. wow, exceptional. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I, he's got he's got to have that cut out and posted somewhere. Right, right. Um, yeah, high honor. My uh, thing, my takeaway with his conversation, of course, you, you and I talked about music and yeah. how inspiring that is and that how really the soundtrack to his life, you know, is, is musically, mm-hmm. you know, musically based. And he remembers back sitting in a car in his parents' driveway listening to Pink Floyd. You know, kicking around on a piece of ground in your hometown. And he's thinking, yeah, that's all I'm doing. I got to go do something, right. you know? And, and it was that, those lyrics that inspired him to, to set off on an adventure. Right. You know? Well, he talks about, you know, you talked about being up in the Alps and having your mind open to different possibilities. And he talked about his experiences with the Grateful Dead and his brother and just mind-altering experiences. Um, You know, I think one of the most intriguing things about Chris is just sort of bearing witness to his transformation over the past Mm. couple years because the things that he utilized, alternative, you know, substances, uh, to maybe have some of those mind-altering experiences, he's shed. Yeah. uh, And and, uh, gotten deeply into yoga, uh, reads lots of uh, of literature – um, I think he, Tom Robbins was one of his yeah, favorites, but also yeah. lots of Eastern. Right, right. You don't need to to take any mind altering drugs. Just read Tom Robbins. Right, you're there. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes you need to take those to understand, to understand Tom, Tom Robbins. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> A little both. Um, and then uh, we uh, we had the opportunity to sit down for a conversation with Vince Graham. Uh, you know, probably most widely recognized for his vision at Ion, you know, he, Neighborhood Mount Pleasant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is, you know, I mean, globally, not just nationally, globally thought of as, you know, just the high, one of the highest quality, sustainable, you know, developments, just the community in the public space. And, and, and yeah. he, re- he really brought that to the conversation. I should say he brought that back to the conversation of right, Charleston. Right, Cause right, because his whole thing is 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 not about creating something new. He goes and revisits the past yeah. to look for things that are working. Yeah. You know, it's that whole transcend and include thing that I mentioned from Ken Wilber. And he's just so thoughtful in his in his in his research and, and in his thought process. Um, and and it and it plays out. Uh, unfortunately, people were really resistant. You know, it was four years he had to f- take this all the way to the state Supreme Court in order to get eye on uh, approved, yeah, um, and the same people who were fighting that then are heralding it as you know the greatest neighborhood, and you know, and such a gem, right. and you know, a crown jewel of Charleston. You know, it's got to be exhausting to go through that battle to get that accomplished, and then to to be able to sort of see it now, and it's got to be really warming. I would imagine he hasn't given yeah. up being a radical. No, not um, at all, not at all. He's I, now the uh, the chairman of the South Carolina State Transportation Infrastructure Bank. Yeah, give Nikki Haley a lot of credit for. Yeah. she appointed him to yep. that position. Um, you don't think of a radical being named there. Uh, no, but he's just he's incredibly thoughtful. He's he's uh, uh, dating my sister in law Misty, and so I've had the opportunity to spend some more time with him mm-hmm. uh, over the past year and you know just to go through his thought process about that whole 
uh, infrastructure and mobility and well, mobility, mobility and transportation could yeah. use some some innovative thinking. Yeah, and and you know when Vince Graham goes into as he describes look and listen mode. Yeah. Uh, I think some cool things are going to come out of that. And and one other thing that I love about Vince is just, you know, radical has this connotation, but I, I almost want to call him a mischievous radical. Oh, yeah. Because he yeah. does have a twinkle as, oh, yeah. in his eye as he sort of pokes you. you yeah, that's right. He does. But he he just does. Sort of, you just sort of see him sort of walking out. Sort Rob of, Swan's got that same yeah, twinkle in his eye. Yeah, he yeah. does. It's yeah, really nice definitely. because if you don't, you know, you can, it can come off abrasive. Right, you got to enjoy yourself. There's nothing abrasive about Vince. Graham. No, there's not. Uh, not. Yeah. True gentleman. Kurt Cavanaugh, uh, the executive director of Charleston Moves. Speaking of mobility yeah. and transportation. Yeah. yeah. Kurt, uh, what, were, what were some of your takeaways from that conversation? You work a lot with him uh, as a board member. Just the member. simplicity, the, the sort of uh, conscious uh, simplification of his life. Mm-hmm. Ten years without a car. Yeah. He's got, he doesn't have any cable or internet in his home. Yeah. Uh, very small place he likes to live. Um, without a lot of belongings, and and just the notion, and and that he feels like uh, the simplicity that that uh, allows for his mind, and the rest of his uh, his the space that he occupies, yeah. is liberating. Yeah, uh, which I'm very attracted to that sort of direction. You know, mm-hmm. um, always have been, but more and more. Uh, yeah, more. you know, I I remember talking about this with him, and is is that I remember talking to people who have had a house renovation, for instance, and had to take everything they owned and put it in storage. And they go through six months of renovation. Don't know what you had. And then they go, they, they, I've had people actually say to me, I don't even want to go open the storage unit because I don't care about it anymore and I don't even remember what's in there. Right. You know, it's just a good reminder of like the stuff that we hold on to and attach to is carries less meaning than we think. Yeah. And and the other thing, like not only living small with less stuff, but when you when you live in a small physical space, it it, it not forces. That's not the right word, but you live then more frequently outside of your own physical. Yeah, space. and that was his thing. Like so you're out in nature, right? for instance. Uh, uh, you know, small spaces. He says small private space, large public space. Right. Right. Um, and that's what he enjoys. And and yeah. and that not only does that put you outside, but it also just puts you more connected and engaged with the community, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, in in a real way, not in right. a, not yeah, in you're a interacting. LinkedIn yeah. way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then we uh we interviewed another uh brilliant artist, um Tim Hussey, good friend of yours, uh somebody I've known for a long time but really enjoyed getting a chance to see yeah, him again. That was great. Yeah. Um, what were some of your takeaways from from Tim? I respect Tim's process a lot, you know, and I and and for me, uh, I think that somebody who might have an introduction to his work now as an artist, uh, uh, I rarely, I find that often it's important to just let the aesthetic value of the work speak for itself, and and with Tim, it's also really nice to be able to look back and see how he's slowly but surely over the course of decades now started to strip and remove out a lot of the things that he was holding on to. Mm. It's it's just becoming a bit lighter, a bit more abstract. Um, And it's hard to do that. It's hard to do that as an artist and uh, uh, technically, and it's hard to do that as an individual knowing that most people or a lot of people are going to look at it and say, what the heck is that? You know, he was, and we'll talk about another guest, Mackenzie Eddy, 
but he was in New York, you know, was sort of, you know, in a pretty black period, I think, a pretty dark, uh, mm-hmm. suffering a lot. I mean, almost paranoia. Yeah. Uh, mom came up and picked him up and drove him out. Um, so he had, you know, he struggled with that a lot. And, um, and I think in his artistic process, it seems like, you know, you don't want to lose your mind because you don't know whether you'll come back. And I think uh, mm-hmm. his relationship that he talked about with his wife and his ability to, you know, mm-hmm. go into a room, go into any s- mental space, emotional space, and feel comfortable and, and confident that you have your, your best mate there to pull you out. You know, what a beautiful... Yeah, to pull him so out and back him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 What do you say? Really nice. she, she'll be there with a nice sandwich and a glass of like, you know, I was like, oh, so, such a beautiful image. Yeah, um, definitely. I yeah. loved his quote to, ah, New York City's for amateurs. Oh, that's right. I mean, yeah. you know, I, well, one, you know, I've, I've never heard that before, number one. And number two, when he talks about it, you understand what he was getting yeah. at when he said that, you know. Yeah. Um, my interpretation of what he was saying was that, you know, whatever you want to be, you can find it in New York. Mm-hmm. And so if you want to be a abstract conceptual artist, there's a hundred of them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, there's a tendency to sort of just follow whatever that little group is doing. Group is doing. And if you truly want to be yourself, you got to get out. You, you got to get out far, yeah. you know. And he, he went from New York to, to Tennessee. Tennessee, yeah. yeah. Yeah, very different place to be making that kind of yeah, work. Yeah. And without that kind of frame of reference, uh, it turns into a much more genuine expression because right. you're no longer consciously or unconsciously feeding off of the group of people that you were surrounded by right. in a place like New York. And we mentioned that, that comment to our next guest, Mackenzie Eddy, who spent a good bit of time in New York as well, uh, working for Damon Dash and um, starting out as an intern right out of... Uh, or maybe she, was, she, had a, she had an actual job, but she was starting out at the bottom of the she ladder. Was, she was his assistant. She, his assistant. she responded to uh, a friend who called her, said Damon Dash, and for those of you who don't know him, former business partner of Jay-Z, and what you know, we both would refer to as like on the Mount Rushmore of hip-hop. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah, a, a, a legend. Yeah. 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 So she goes up there, she's his assistant, but I think within short order, like by the time she was 25, uh, she was running his label. His music label, yeah. 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 And also being featured as one of the artists under the label. Well, that took a minute, Yeah, because she didn't, he didn't even know that she was a musician for a while. Um, And and, uh, so that was, you know, a bit of irony there, she's, she's... the president of a music label, and then a lot of the people she's working with don't even know that she's a musician because yep. she, as so, so many people that we talk to, uh, are just so humble that they're just you know doing their job, trying to serve people and trying to get to know people, really curiously fascinated about the people they're working with, not really self-promoting all day long. Right. Um, so when it does happen, as it has for her, these relationships she's had musically, it happens really naturally, yeah. um, where they get to know each other and really enjoy each other's company. Uh, and, and I love what she talked about, about being in a band and how tenuous and how fragile that relationship is. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to define, and it's a bit magical when it all works. I was very intrigued by yet another, you know, Benji, probably the first guest, but, you know, she was at the pinnacle, you know, at like 27 uh-huh. uh, in New York and, and really just, 
you know, I, I think in one of her tunes, 80, a uh, global tour, 80 cities, 60 cities in 80 days or something like yeah. that, you know, exhausted, unhealthy, um, emotionally drained. And she just, she, she dropped it. She came to Charleston, uh, fortunate for our city to, to bring in another, yeah. you know, wonderful human. Um, but we had the opportunity to go see her at the Royal oh, American right. with her, with her band, very hypnotic soul band which was brought together out of the shootings at AME, right? Yeah. I mean, they played Yeah, there, there was a high harmony concert correct. that they played at, sort of uh, unscripted. Mm -hmm. And then they loved it so much, they decided, man, we got to do this again. Yeah. And they did it again, and then they decided, well, we're, we're going to be a band. I literally had tickets, third row to go to Pearl Jam, which oh, is right. my, like, my favorite band. And I was invited to go up to uh, New York to see Duncan Sheik's opening of uh, American Psycho on mm. Broadway. Wow. Both of which I turned down to go see Very Hypnotic Soul Band. It's a great night, too. It was a magical it night. It was a magical yeah. night. And yeah. it, it, for me, it was, it was by far the most diverse audience uh, you know, community I've seen in Charleston. Um, you know, I don't go out that much, but, you know, it, it was wonderful to see. It felt like something different, for yeah. sure. I mean, Benjamin Starr is incredible, and, and, and if you don't know who Benjamin Starr is, if you're listening, you know, he's... he's hopefully we can have him on oh, I'd the love show to. here. Well, he's so powerful with his lyrics, and yet yeah. his delivery and his personality so is just soft. So soft and gentle and warm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he's speaking some things that need to be heard, and and uh, just he's, I feel like he's delivering a message that that you know goes you know all the way back to to Martin Luther King. You know, yeah. he's just uh, speaking the truth about the South, and 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 hoping people are listening. And the nice thing was, it's not in a heavy-handed way when yeah. you're at listening to live music, dancing and tapping your feet, and 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 with a whole bunch of people that uh, were having a good time. Brings me back to Martin Luther King and points of connection. Right, that uh, yeah, was the... And, and, you know, that wasn't a political affair. It wasn't, you know, forces mobilizing to put people no. together. It was hip-hop, you know? And, and, and Charleston doesn't have a... You know, I think they do now. Yeah, right, definitely. Mackenzie and Elliot, who was also incredible. Yeah. Uh, and Ben and that, that whole band uh, are, are a voice for hip-hop in Charleston. But it's... It's wonderful to see because it has so much uh, opportunity to uh, to bring For people connection. together. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, we we had uh, the indomitable Brad Van Lu who gave us the luxury of picking the musical score for that affair. First time, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the first time anybody did that. What do you think we got on a, a scale A to Oh, I think F? it started at an F. Yeah. And and we may have moved up to like a C by yeah. the time we were done. Yeah. He, he was not particularly enthused about the music we yeah. selected. I'm hoping yeah. that by the time he listens to the actual piece, he might actually, like I'm secretly expecting an email from him that yeah. says, man, I was wrong. That yeah, stuff really right. rocks. <laughs> you guys nailed it. Um, <laughs> he's just, what a colorful guy oh man Brad you yeah. know um and uh, I love his stories about Talladega Nights and how that influenced the you know the last boat but uh my my biggest sailing around the world alone I mean yeah. for those who don't know him he's yeah. done that multiple times three times third place uh, once first place twice he's the godfather of, of, of that in the only in, American in, in the states yeah I mean absolutely he's, yeah. he's the godfather um I think he's He's been on the open water for 300,000 miles in seas, you know, 60, 80 foot, flipped over, flipped back. Rolled it all the rolled. way around 360 degrees. Right. With the As he was going, 
to rescue the, right. the French girl Isabel. Yeah, um, yeah. And he, and he was not in the right position to do that. But no. you know, Brad's the type of guy who's like, you know, I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die. I'm gonna else. die saving somebody rather yeah. than 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 go the other way. Yeah. You know, um, I've, uh, you know, the idea of being present and, and, you Mm. know, I, I, that was what I was most intrigued by because I've never really understood, um, sort of, uh, adventure junkies or, you know, Mm. um, uh, adrenaline junkies, I guess. Yeah. Um, but for the first time I really did because he you know, it almost is like a meditative state. It is a meditative state. Right. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, 100%. It's the complete opposite direction of how, yeah, you yeah. know, uh, a meditation on a mat. And and that was really just interesting. Like, yeah. you know, 180 degree difference, yet the same place. Yeah, fully, fully present in the now. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the place that, you know, some people will sit and meditate for decades to try and achieve, mm-hmm. you know. Brad gets jumping on a sailboat and taking it, uh, uh, you know, around the world mm-hmm. in the middle of, you know, the Indian Ocean and, and, and you know, zipping past uh, icebergs in Antarctica. And, and part of it is just the ability to be, you have to be really present to your situation there. And, and there's, an, there's an old um, a yogic practice called Tantra. And I was curious about this because um, I did this yoga teacher training last year. And one of the things I learned about Tantra was they were talking about various ways that you can get a taste of enlightenment. And one of them was running for your life. Right. <laughs> and we all laughed, you know, as soon as I heard that. But then I realized, like, oh, yeah, that's real. Yeah. Like, like, because you are definitely not thinking about anything other than that present moment. Right. You're turned on fully alive as you're running for your life. Right. And that's really what Brad's tapping into is that same sort of, same sort of energy, but really intentional behind it. Another big adventurer who had the same experience that Rob Swan did, which was simultaneous pinnacle of your vocation, your, your, you know, your field and utter, complete, total despair. Yeah. Right. You know, he, he had won every leg of the last race he went on and he will say, and I absolutely believe it. He, he could only go on if he did win. (laughs) Right. He didn't didn't have the money. money, Right. They lost, they didn't get a title sponsor and had to self fund the whole thing. And it was the first year the race was had prize money. Right. And the prize money was going right back into Funny every leg, leg. he yeah. won. And so there was a, yeah, it was a real kind of a odd finish. He's, a, he, he's, he's winning, and he knows he's bankrupt. Yeah. yeah. So he's at the finish line, which should be a, such a celebratory thing, just, like, just yeah. like Rob. Yeah. He just did it. His life's dream since he was 11, and he's realized, oh, my God, my ship sunk with 50 grand on it. You know, and Brad Van Loo had the same thing happen. Oh, my God, I just won. Well, and I kind of lost. <laughs> and, and, but but I love the way his sister said. Oh, she yeah. said it changed my my look, right. outlook on life. When in the middle of that trauma, she looks over and Brad's driving his truck, and he's got the music blared up, the window down. He's like sort of shaking his head, and you know he was he was just moving on. You know, I mean, I, that's I don't want to trivialize the despair that he suffered, but he was not going to let it. Uh, yeah, he seemed to find a way to still find moments to enjoy in his day-to-day. Yeah. So he didn't let it take him down. Overwhelm him. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, that, that pretty much wraps up our season one. Um, that was our first 18 guests, I think, as I just counted up and ending with Brad Van Loo. And we're going to cut, as we always do, to a piece of music. And 
um, from both of our pasts, growing up in California and here in the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Higher Ground. Welcome back. John Duckworth, Alexopoulos, here in the Ohm Radio 96.3 studio on top of the Joseph, Joseph Floyd Manor in Charleston. And that was the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Higher Ground, doing a Stevie Wonder cover. I love it. Um, yeah, that was self-indulgent. That was, yeah. for, that was for you and I, and I hope everybody enjoys it. Why not? Yeah. Why not? So it's a wrap on a full, uh, full season. We didn't really anticipate that this was the way we were going to run this, though. Um, it came to a point where we were working uh, every week on producing a show, 
And uh, both you and I sat down one day and said, man, I'm really, I'm really exhausted. Yeah, it was interesting. Like we noticed uh, in the last couple of interviews that we didn't ask any of like the introductory questions. And I, I think not what, as many. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, th- I think I'm for me personally, I got bored of asking the question. You know, <laughs> uh, and you could just I could sort of feel the energy in me being tired, having done it. What you know for for a long while, like eight months straight, and coinciding with both of us having really full plates. Yeah. And it just felt like, you know, oh. And uh, we sat down a- after a recording. I think we went to Santee's and uh, we were like, you know, I think we were both having that and just sort of said, what do you think about like doing a season? And sort of, because we've also had other ideas on our minds simultaneously, like the idea of having conversations with kids, you know, uh-huh. the youth, the idea of having conversations with our elders you know, finding somebody in this building that we occupy right now and, and right. having a conversation. Right. How, we also having, talked about theming. Themes, you know, right. You know, like uh, you, you say Charlie Rose does this too, which is wonderful when he does his uh, science month or, you know. Right. He does that yearly, right? Yeah, he does, uh, he does a two-week show on the brain. On the brain, yeah, okay, and it has neuroscientists from yeah. Harvard, and you know, I mean, it's, it's it's. But we started talking about like, well, what kind of themes would we like to talk about? Social justice, or the environment, or yeah, you know, the elders. Um, so it, you know, the combination of I think creatively it uh, beginning to feel flat f- for us personally, um, and the. Uh, sparkling of some ideas that didn't have space to really take shape, right? right? Of something different and being tired. I think the whole combination, I think what it's, it's interesting because this is our call to adventure with the show. Right. And, and we're doing it. We're in it. <laughs> we're in the call to adventure. As we're asking people about their call yeah. to adventure. Right. Uh, which makes it really unique, you know? Um, so we're, we're going to, what? We're going to take the, the summer off. Um, rework some of the questions. Uh, you know, we got some percolating in our minds right now. It uh, sounded, it just, it, it occurred to us both at that same moment that, that there was a, this was the way to do it. And we hadn't actually ever gotten past thinking about, wow, we're doing a radio show. And, no. and, and, and then we got to a certain point of, okay, now what's the next step? How do we, you know, how do we structure this? Right. And structuring it with, you know, a season and then three months off, and then going, getting back into it again, just seems like a real natural flow. So um, we're excited about that. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited about and it. And excited to have some time off. Excited also to let some things marinate and see what comes up and see how we put together the next phase and the next season and the next guests. Mm-hmm. That sounds really cool to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm also really pumped about what we've already accomplished. It's mm-hmm. been pretty amazing. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. It's been really fun just to go back and sort of think about all the conversations, you know? Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is we're talking about everybody's call to adventure. It goes back to the idea of their structure, right? And so you might think, well, gosh, you know, do you have similar conversations? But, I mean, r- immediately when we went through every conversation, you know, there's something different to pull out of all of them, Uh which, which I really enjoyed. There was. Know. Very different, very unique. Yeah. 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 And hopefully, you know, that's the sort of thing that goes back to our original intention, you know, uh, is that it, there is somebody out there listening who might be thinking, 
uh, wow, that sounds really familiar to what's happening to me right now. And there's something that they can apply to their lives and right. say, maybe I should, you know, maybe I should go for this. Right. You know, this, this, this is an adventure, you know, because the call to adventure, the hesitation, there's always this, there's potentially a refusal of the call is what Joseph right. Campbell talks about. And that happens a lot. Um, and oftentimes it's just out of fear. And I think, you know, so often, so many of these stories, hopefully, can inspire somebody to look at fear and say, you know what, I'm going to do it anyways. Right. Or I'm going to do it because of that. Right. So That's pretty inspiring. Yeah, it, it has been. And uh, so over the summer, enjoy. Uh, we're going to rewind and play through uh, each of the shows. Um, Starting back with Buff, ending with uh, with actually you, John. Uh, yeah, we we had just a last week. Yeah, that that hasn't been broadcast yet, but uh, hope you enjoy that as well. And uh, and and we'll catch you on the flip side. But before we do, so many people to uh, say thank you to. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, as we've already uh, pointed out, the we couldn't do this without technology assistance. And uh, big thanks to Corbin, who's in the studio with us right now. Um, Thomas Kinney. Yeah. Um, and Vicky Matsis. Yeah. Lee Barber. Um, for, for making this radio station happen. You know, we, we could, we, this also exists as a podcast and on iTunes. You can search Call to Adventure. But this wouldn't happen without them, without Vicky going out and saying, let's do this radio station and doing the hard work behind the scenes to get it up and running. Yeah. Um, Katie Kinwall. Big help for us in the studio and, and, and uh, keeping us organized. Um, I wanted to give a shout-out to my buddy Johnny Cook. Just yes. I know he'd love to hear his voice yes. on the air right yes. now. <laughs> and he was also helping us brainstorm this along the way. He might have to come in on the oh, second definitely. season, dude. <laughs> oh, man, he would love that, definitely. And, of course, we can't you know, uh, uh, forget to thank the people who, who keep listening to this radio station um, and thankfully to our show. Yeah. And thank you to the guest for you know uh, spending the time doing the preparation and um, and sharing your story with us and our listeners. Um, and uh, you know, one other person I realized I have on my list here, Julie Hobson, who you're going to forget is the name of the woman who did the voiceover for our theme music. Oh, really? Yeah, I just that. sent her a link <laughs> to our SoundCloud account last night. I was like, you might want to check this that out. That was so wild. You put that up. Like, that's how organic it was. Yeah. Like, we should have somebody else do the intro. And yep. You posted that, and then we had like 167. Yeah, voices.com if you ever need any voiceover. Yeah. Holy cow. That, yeah. That's amazing. That was fun going yeah, through that, you know? Yeah. Um, yes. Thank you to Julie. Um, thanks to everyone. Uh, have a great summer. We'll catch you you on the flip side. All right. Peace. Cheers. Cheers. And remember, the road that is distinctly your own has never been traversed. Celebrate the path that is your call to adventure. This show is brought to you by Objectivity Squared Wealth Management, helping families strategize, execute, monitor, and communicate their financial decisions. Learn more at objectivitysquared.com.